0: I'm Polly Campbell, and this is Simply Said. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Polly, and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy so that we can do the work that matters and create the lives we want to live. You know and that really means living authentically managing our emotions understanding living with awareness belonging and connecting to one another but that's hard to do when we are shadowed by big emotions that we never really talk about we all have them right but when somebody says how are you you usually say or i usually say i'm doing fine even when i've got big stuff under the waves there that i'm dealing with When we learn to talk about the tough stuff, we also get to lean into the gray stuff because it's the contrast that allows us to love and find happiness and better health. It's the contrast that makes all the rest of it so valuable. I began thinking a lot about this contrast uh, about 15 years ago now. I had a nine-month-old baby and I also had cancer, melanoma. Today, even now, Despite the fact that I've been healthy, there's been no reoccurrence, I still think about that experience almost every day. Every checkup, every six months, I get this little knot in my stomach. Because when you've had the cancer diagnosis, it changes how you think and feel about everything in the rest of your life. Not all bad. But it's not something we talk about, right? We we get the treatment, we become cured, but it still changes who we are, and it changes the people around us, too. The good news is that the rates of people dying from cancer are falling, and I was part of that dynamic between 1991 and 2017. The rate of death uh, from cancer has fallen by more than 30%, but the emotions of it linger on for good and for bad, and we're going to talk about the emotion of what it's like to be diagnosed, what it's like to love someone who's dealing with a diagnosis, and try to understand a little bit why we don't talk about these big things, even though we've all been exposed to them. We all know people who are living with this disease or we've had it ourselves. And we're gonna explore the emotional side of cancer today so we can learn to live with it better. And to do that, I've got author David Richmond. Welcome, David.
1: Hey, good morning, Polly. Very well said. All of that was very well said. I'm very looking forward to talking with you.
0: I'm looking forward to it too, because I don't think we get into it enough. David is a financial advisor, consultant, triathlete, and author. But his award-winning book, The Cycle of Lives, is what we're going to talk about today. And in that book, he recounts his cross-country bike ride where he went 4,700 miles in six weeks, meeting with the participants of the book to explore the emotional side of this illness david tell me about the book Where, how did you hatch this idea and 47 miles that's a that's a big that's a big effort in just two months how did this come to be
1: yeah the the i'll i'll answer the first part first on how did the book come to be but the the, the bike ride uh was kind of a gimmick in my head to start it off and I'll explain why in a moment, but it turned into very very real and not not gimmicky. So where where the book started, Polly, was exactly what you said. Um you dealt with the treatment. You dealt with how do I how do I deal with my life while I'm getting myself better with cancer, right? And we're often good about that. When trauma hits, we kind of triage like how do I get off of work? How do I eat better? How do I reduce stress? How do how do I get myself to chemo and back? Like like these type of things, we're really good about. But when it comes to the "How are you doing? How are you feeling?" Talk to me about what's going on. We tend to, "Oh, I'm fine," or "No, uh, I don't want to bring you down," or we don't even ask the question because we don't want to say the wrong thing. And that 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 you know overreaching uh, idea of that came very true to me when I saw my sister going through terminal brain cancer Mm -hmm. and her and I were uh, able to talk about everything. She had a young family, uh, you know, beautiful marriage, uh, great circle of friends. I mean, she was living her best life. Right. And then all of a sudden she gets a cancer diagnosis that's terminal. And like you said, everything changes. And we were fortunate that we were able to talk about everything, but not everybody uh, has the freedom to be able to do that, to lean in and discuss the emotional side and i kind of wanted to ask the questions and why why is that why, why do we have such difficulty with that part of trauma especially with cancer And so that was the genesis of the book
0: yeah and i want to get into the why behind that in just a minute but i was really struck by your book because you didn't just go to i mean cancer is dramatic no matter how do you look at it but you didn't just go to the the dramatic terminal stories you didn't just go uh to all women with breast cancer or all guys you you really sought out diversity people that had a range of experiences and diagnosis and um how they dealt with it i thought that was interesting because from the book i i got the feeling that everybody has to deal with it whether it's a so-called easy cancer to treat and and that's a whole nother issue for me i want to ask about too because i think sometimes we're like oh yeah well you know they can treat that really effectively now and it almost uh diminishes the experience the, the patient is having. But mm-hmm. why did you look, why did you work so hard to find such diverse experiences?
1: That's a great, great question, right? Everybody listening, just like you, just like me, has very full plates. We run into people throughout our lives uh, in different degrees, right? Sometimes people are just in passing, their employees, their bosses, their friends, they're, you know, they're just acquaintances. But who doesn't know someone? Who stops them in their tracks, no matter how deep or light the relationship is that when you, you know, you find out, oh, man, you know, somebody at work was diagnosed with this or, oh, my God, did you hear about so and so whose kid, you know, has this issue? Like, There's not anybody that doesn't run into this. And what, you know, it, it, it's one thing to say, how do we have more authentic, meaningful, deep connections to the people we love, but how about how do we have authentic, meaningful connections to anybody in our life that we want to get closer to, or understand better, or have understand us, and that's why I said, no, I'm not going after stories that are just really, really on the fringes, I, I want to talk to doctors, patients, loved ones, caregivers, young, old, had cancer, Uh, that one of the most dramatic stories is just somebody who has a fear of cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, She had non-cancerous tumors on her brain, but the fear of cancer is debilitating. And so um, contrast that with a woman who's had five different types of cancer over a 35-year period in her adult life. They, They all have one thing in common. They're dealing with the emotional side of cancer, but I didn't want it to come from the same starting point.
0: Yeah, I think that's really effective. You call it Queen of Emotional Chaos. Um, that's it, right? It, it doesn't matter <laughs> what type. It doesn't matter when. It it becomes almost a, a characteristic in your life as you go forward from it. Why do you think we don't talk about it? Why is it so hard for us?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and that was originally the title of the book, Polly mm. um, Queen of the Cancer, the Queen of Emotional Chaos. But yeah, I love can- it understand what that meant and and it is it's right the queen is the ruler and the queen says hey this is what's going to happen and this is what's not going to happen I don't care what anybody says I'm the ruler and so uh, I just think that uh, a cancer just doesn't it doesn't give you the freedom to explore the emotional side on the way we want to do it I mean it just takes over and so I think the reason that we don't Really talk about it is numerous, but mostly it is because who doesn't understand the idea that we are all mirrored inside with tons of childhood and young adult trauma? Some of it severe, some of it minor. It's still traumatic and it lives inside of us. And anytime that we have something that becomes uncomfortable, such as dealing with death, such as trying to fire someone, such as having to tell a friend that you know, you're in trouble and I need to bring bring your attention. Anytime we have to deal with something difficult, it just becomes so much harder because we're mirroring it against the, the internal traumas that we've had. So, for example, when people are asking you when you're going through melanoma, how are you doing? And you said, I'm fine. I mean, the question, you know, the answer might be I'm fine, but it's only because... I don't want to tell you because you're going to you're gonna go running for the hills, or I don't want to tell you because I don't want to bring you down, and I'm trying to deal with this as best I can without the guilt of bringing you down, or I don't want to tell you because then I sound like a whiner, and I don't want you to think I'm a whiner. I mean, there's a million reasons why we will answer fine instead of telling the truth, and I think it relates to the childhood traumas we had, and when I spoke to all of the book participants, that's the thing that I brought forth to the story so that we could all relate to those traumas, abuse, abandonment, drug addiction, um, isolation, um, you name it, um, uh, so that so that we could understand those type of things and how that affects people once they're going through cancer or witnessing a loved one go through cancer or dealing with cancer as a, as a professional for their career.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a really good point. When I was going through it and the friends I had who have gone through it that I've been able to talk it through with also, I mean, treating any ailment, right? Any illness is pretty time consuming, especially in the beginning. You you're constantly meeting with doctors and you're figuring out daycare and, and managing your work time and all these things that by the end of the day, sometimes I didn't even have words for it. I was just so tired from just managing the schedule that it takes to get well again but that other part that you mentioned i was fine i was working through things i had moments of fear but mostly i was very practical about it in that time because i had to get through it and i really felt a huge responsibility not to freak out the people around me and that was a big burden that i felt At the time, my friends could have handled it. My family could have handled it. But but I was really sensitive to that. I didn't want to hurt my family or worry them more than they were already worried. Um, So it just became easier. But what I've found over the years then, and and I I want you to address this because I know your people in the book found it, too, that it just doesn't go away. Right.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. And I admire and understand and respect (laughs) that you don't want to bring others down or you you want to care for them in a way that softens what's going on with you because you know they care so much about you. In one sense, I, I I honor and respect that. And in another sense, it it does minimize their ability to process what they're going through watching you deal with this. Right. And right. and so that's tough. You know, it's kind of like um the analogy that I give is is my wife used to give me a hard time. She's like, dude, you know, every time we host you just control everything. Like You don't let anybody help you and you're ruining their experience because when they're asking to help, they actually want to help because they want to be a part of the experience. And, and I know you love taking care of people. I know you love making sure they have a good time, but part of their good time is letting them help. And yeah. part of people's bonding with you in an authentic, connective way, like you said in the intro, is allowing them to understand what you're going through in a true, authentic way. And that's really hard, that's a vulnerable place to go.
0: Yeah, but I think it is valuable to do that and important. And and the times when I did that, it developed a a stronger connection between the people who love me and the people whom I love, right? This, This, when we go there on any issue of our life, um, and I'm not saying you have to sit down on the park bench and go through your whole life story, but you can share <laughs> pieces of that. And not only do we feel the enrichment and and the support of being connected that way, but like you said, the people in our life feel like they can do something when they're also feeling feeling powerless and sad and scared and all those things that come from people we love when when they're hurting.
1: Yeah. And um, you know, I do remember um a few of the kind of task related things that my sister was going through when she was going through cancer but what really sticks with me are a couple of very very brief parts of conversations that where I got to see the true essence of who she was and one pops into my head if you don't mind me getting personal Polly, is we were sitting on her back um back patio and she had one of those uh Uh, what do you call trampolines that that the kids were jumping on she had her her two kids my two kids they were all jumping on the on the thing and she got silent all of a sudden I looked over and I go what's going on June and she goes you know there's a lot of things about getting ready to die that suck but I think the thing that sucks the most about getting ready to die is knowing that I'm not going to watch those two grow up she goes it's really a bummer I mean it's really a bummer and we talked about that for a little while and I just remember like wow what i mean how wonderful is it that she felt comfortable to share such a painful personal uh, uh you know story with me that allowed me to understand her better to really feel what she was going through and allowed us to see each other in a real true hu- the most human way you could and because we 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 think that we think that might be going through her head. She might think it's okay to say that, but boy, it's a heavy thing to put on people to have them hear that. But we were lucky enough that you know we had that moment between us and so we had other moments too. And although it's tragic and it's, it's very sad, it also comforts me to know that we were close enough to be able to say the things that oftentimes aren't, aren't said.
0: Yeah, I think I'm glad you brought that up because I hear you say that comforted me. We can do that for each other, right? When we share our deepest feelings, it's just a more authentic version of ourselves. It's saying, I respect you enough to tell you this because I know you can do it. And then I can share that with you. And then when life changes, we have that, right? We haven't lost it all because we left things unsaid. So I wanna talk about how to do this. Uh, What is normal or common? How can we talk to each other and find our way through this? And we're going to get into all of that with David Richmond when we come back from this short break. Right here on Polly Campbell, Simply Said, part of the best business network on ElectroCast. Welcome back. I'm Polly and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good and be happy. And today we're talking with author David Richmond. He wrote Cycle of Lives and we're talking about the emotional side of cancer, how we can talk to each other about it and live with each other through it. Because we all have these relationships, either we've had cancer ourselves or we know people who have had it. And you know me, you've listened to enough of my shows to know that I think understanding and becoming aware of our feelings and sharing those with each other is part of living a happy and healthier life. When we suppress those feelings, sometimes it leads to bad behavior, right? We, we drank too much. We shopped too much. We do what we can to numb ourselves instead of dealing with the heavy load of the emotion. But it doesn't have to be that heavy. We can go with each other into those feelings. And David, the author of Cycle of Lives, is here to talk to us about how to do that. David, you interviewed all kinds of people having all kinds of different cancer experiences. Mm -hmm. And yet you said there were a few common emotions that showed up time and time again, a few feelings that they had. What are some of those?
1: Well, what they had in common for the book project was that each one multiple times during our discussions, and this was um, this was the deciding factor on whether or not <clears throat> this they 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 made the cut as it were into the book because I talked to more than 15, was that they 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 said multiple times, well, geez, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. I've never really talked about that before. Hmm. right? So they all had it very much in common was they weren't an open book, uh, not fully to their parents to their kids to their to their spouse to I mean it was crazy the amount of stuff that people kept bottled up inside and the reasons why Um, so one of the things that that really uh, uh, touched on me is even people who are so willing to be so transparent about everything in their life we went to places where they hadn't gone before that was one Um, two another emotion that was very Um, prevalent, and and I'd say almost 100% at some level in each person was a sense of isolation, a sense, either, uh, you know, self-isolation or some form of abandonment, where they felt like at whatever point they opened up, they experienced people shutting them down, either by that that person disappearing, or that person not giving them a safe space. Oh, like, when you said something, you know, earlier, an easy cancer, like there is no easy cancer, and if somebody right. tried to shut it down. That just invalidated the way that somebody, you know, responded to what they. What, any cancer is not. Uh, heck, it's a beer cancer is not easy. So, mm-hmm. you know, so so I think that abandonment or or self isolation was a big deal, which only compounds that idea that we keep everything kind of bolted inside. So, those were some of them, but as far as the 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 the, the range of human emotion, Polly. Gratitude. Could you imagine somebody having a uh, gratitude oh. for hearing that they have a a a, a terminal diagnosis? Um, sorrow, we could understand hope. I mean, there's, there's just the range of emotions was so wide ranging that I just, I was completely drawn to it.
0: Was there a positive outcome for these people, even if they were dying, you mentioned gratitude. Were any of them, um, the people you interviewed did they get to a point where there was some acceptance or or was it always super difficult and and a negative experience for these families no
1: absolutely the opposite and and again i spoke to doctors uh medical professional nurses you name it right uh they were they were the 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 the, the participants in the book as well as people that had cancer or loved ones and um although some of the stories are tragic there they are literally every single one has an optimistic, you know, forward-thinking, inspirational bent, you know, just super quick, one of the stories, Terry, um, she, uh, very to be very brief, she had two bone marrow transplants, and at each bone marrow transplant, the significant other in her life, one on the way to the hospital, the other on, his, on the way to take care of her, during the second one, 10 years later, both of them called her up to say, I'm not coming. I'm not strong enough. You're on your own. I'm out. If you could imagine that, then she joins the, uh, you know, the support groups and because her cancer is so severe, she's literally the one single person out of any of her support groups who ends up living. So you can imagine that this woman is only thinking about death and it's only about abandonment and just the horrible things that had happened to her. And then she changed her mindset one day. And she said, you know what? I'm going to stop thinking about I'm the one in 100 or the 5% odds of this or the 1%. She goes, everything's just 50-50. And and it's either going to happen or it's not. It's either I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. I'm going to fall in love or I'm not. Somebody's going to take care of me or they're not. I Forget about these odds things. And then that was her optimism that led to her thinking, you know what? I don't care about yesterday. I'm out here floating around trying to just get to another sunset and another sunrise, let's see what the day can bring to me. And I love the inspirational, hopeful outlook of almost all of all of these stories, even the ones that end up in loss, the people that are left behind oftentimes are left with hopeful, inspirational, forward-thinking emotions. And and that that is what I wanted people to get out of the book.
0: Yeah. And I think that's conveyed through the book. And and I think that's it. When I open the show with that talk about contrast, you know. We have opportunities for contrast all over our lives. The marriage doesn't work. The marriage does work. The job we hate, the job we love. And often it's in those moments that we call negative. They have presented the kind of contrast that made me love my life more. Right. When I've been deeply hurt or in pain or sad, then when the sun comes up again and I can feel that happiness, I'm all in for that happiness. And and I found many of the stories in your book and the people you talk to really articulate that. Well, I was looking all wrong. There was one story you told about. I think he married uh, his his girlfriend after he found out that that she was diagnosed or she was diagnosed while they were dating early on in the book. I want to say Bobby, but I don't. Bobby.
1: Remember that. yeah, yeah, that's Bobby.
0: And you know his life—he had many difficulties—and all of a sudden he has this great chance for contrast, and he stepped into it and found some joy during what others would see as really bleak. I think that level of resilience is really interesting.
1: Yeah, because who doesn't, who can't wonder if you lose the love of your life uh, to cancer or otherwise, um, then life is over. Well, I, I wanted to show that this this guy not only did he lose the love of his life, but contrast that against the fact that he had lived his whole life a way that would never allow him to be loved or to love that deeply. And he finally find, finds that and she and she passes what was interesting about his story because that I could relate to. But what I found so inspirational was how he was able to find love again. And, um, and, and that person and him pay homage to Brandy because she made Bobby the best he could be and And he felt comfortable now knowing that he could be the best he could be. He could be his true authentic self and love again. She made him. Hey, you're you're gonna have to go out there and find somebody to love cause you're yeah. the best Bobby you've ever been. It's a bummer that it's not going to be me. But but you need to go do that. And and he he processed the emotions properly and deep enough and also with some professional help to be able to allow him to honor that that idea that you're now you're your best self go out and enjoy the life that you have. And how is that not inspirational.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love what you just said about professional help. Because there's no rule about how to do this. We don't have to do it by ourselves. We can learn to communicate better with our loved ones who are going through this. We can learn to process our own feelings about our own illness. There's a lot of resources, support groups, therapists, friends, family, whatever. Now in this day and age, there's a lot of resources to help us through these moments.
1: Yeah. And I kind of love the idea that I'm not qualified to give professional advice because I'm not giving advice. Right. But what I what I do know from talking to, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at a very, very, very deep level is that there's some common things we we, we all just want to be understood and we want to understand others. And we all just want to connect authentically to a few people and we want them to be able to connect to our authentic selves. So, uh, yeah, th- that's this book kind of, it doesn't show people and preach to them how to do that, but it kind of opens up some doors to go, Oh, that's how we might a- a- approach this.
0: Yeah. I thought that was effective. We learn so much when we share stories of each other. And, and that's what I try to do on my Substack with polycampbell.substack.com. Come through there. You can get some personal behind the scenes stuff where I take these stories a little deeper into my own experience because this is all about being practical, finding things, ways to think and feel and support each other in the moments of our day so that we can go through it easier. And David, one thing before we sign off today, you had a personal experience with your sister. She went through her own cancer, um, uh, brain cancer how did you start that conversation with her is there a way you personally recommend uh, that people can open the
1: dialogue yeah i think i i think early very early on she said to me something along the lines of and i and i know i'm paraphrasing here but she said something along the lines of Geez, David. Everybody I talk to looks at me a certain way and gives me a look of sympathy, and it's like then that, that gives them the right to feel like they're doing me a favor and allows them to keep their distance because they don't want to invade me because they're so sympathetic. She goes, "I don't want any of that, man. I, I I only have so much time. I need I need to be real." And so, how what a great imitation that is because you know we can't make it better it's not our fault so we shouldn't say we're sorry um, we it, we can't understand what the person's going through as a reflection of what we're going through oh i understand what you're going through because i i i i i that that's not none of that works and so if you allow people the ability to have a safe space and you're there to be you know in a true way there for them and to listen to them and to interact with them about what's going on with them, then that's the first spot. And, and, and that's what, that's, what, that's the spot you got to start from and then take it from there. It's yeah. just, just lean into it. Don't bring yourself into it. Don't bring sympathy. Don't, don't bring a sorrow, you know, to it. Just, just, just open up a, a, a spot where you can be true, authentic, real, um, and just just make it day one. Like that's the starting point.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. I, I think I do better in my own life when I lean into everything, the good and the bad with curiosity because it takes me out of the picture and it puts me in the place as an observer or learner um, and I'm learning to be more present to other people. So lean in with curiosity, ask the question and, and learn and be with them in that moment. I think that can help us through a lot of things in this world right now. Actually, <laughs> that's not bad advice, Dave david
1: <laughs> yeah right i mean probably listen uh there's no who doesn't cringe at the statement oh man i know exactly what you're going through uh yeah. no you don't you have no idea what i'm going through right and i have no idea what you're going through let's be honest here you can't tell me i know what you're going i know what you're feeling i know what's on. Going- no you don't right the only way you can know is to listen
0: the only way you can notice okay i'm listening where do we find you david how can <laughs> we get your book what's your next project fill me in
1: Oh, thank you. Um, all, 100% of the proceeds uh, from the book go to the uh, cancer-focused charities that were chosen by the book participants. They're listed in the book. They're listed on my website, um, cycleoflives.org. As you well know, most books are either sold directly or they're sold through Amazon. And so the books are available on Amazon, uh, uh, the Audible version, the electronic version, um, and the hard copy version. So cycleoflives.org. Uh, I, I work on a lot of, I know you had uh, somebody on talking about journaling recently. I do a lot of expressive writing workshops. I do a lot of of, of speaking about uh, creating safe space for people to talk about emotions during trauma. So uh, yeah, you can find out more about me just through that uh, cycleoflives.org. And if if you end up doing anything, know that the proceeds are going to support uh, some really great organizations that are helping people deal with this, this um, you know, the world of cancer.
0: Yep go buy the book. The stories are enlightening. The people are inspiring. And the money is going to help us cope with this illness and maybe ultimately find a cure, which is what we can hope for. You can find me at polycampbell.com or on polycampbell.substack.com where I take you behind the scenes through personal essays of things I'm working through in my life so that I can live well and do good and, and be happy on this planet too. Listen, when we get together and we share our feelings, when we save a safe space by being a good listener, not only do we feel better, but we create greater awareness about these deep emotions about cancer and how we can move through it better as a society as individuals as families and one day that might even lead to a cure that will help us all live well do good and be happy introducing the deep leadership podcast
1: Subscribe today electric acid. welcome to transforming forty five the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. Electricast. Electric ass.